Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of Autodesk's Digital Builder podcast. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week, we are looking at the economic outlook for the construction industry in the United States. And to help tell this story, I'm joined by Richard Branch, chief economist from the Dodge Construction Network. Richard's focus is to ensure Dodge's preeminence in tracking, analyzing, and forecasting construction activity, and he works closely with national, regional, and trade media to share this insight. His work includes the monthly Dodge Momentum Index and National Construction Starts research, as well as serving as anchorman for the prestigious and widely circulated Dodge Construction Outlook. Thanks for joining me on the show today, Richard. I'm really excited to, uh, to kind of dig into the outlook for the country this year. Thanks, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm happy to, happy to share what knowledge I have. I think it'd be impossible to start today's conversation off without considering the impacts of the ongoing pandemic. And for out there, those out there listening right now that have pandemic fatigue, fatigue, don't drop off just yet. <laughs> Our focus today, of course, will be to uncover some of the challenges and opportunities in the coming year with a close look at finding ways to prepare while staying competitive. So, Richard, at a high level, can you compare where the industry was when the pandemic uncertainty started against where things stand today? Sure. That That's a great start to the discussion, and it really is hard hard to, to focus on where we'll be in the future without really thinking about where we've been over the last uh, a couple of years. And it does seem like a, a big stretch to think back to what life was like and what the construction sector was like back in 2019 before the pandemic. But in a, in a sense, the construction sector back then in terms of construction starts, boots on the ground, cranes in the sky, the construction sector was on absolute fire. It was, it was running on all cylinders. In terms of dollar value, total construction starts. So this is residential, non-residential buildings, as well as our non-building sector. That's essentially uh, infrastructure. The total of that in 2019 was $861 billion. That's just an immense amount of money. Now, of course, the, the pandemic hit in, in early 2020 and construction activity just stopped, whether that was because of uh, public safety regulations, you know, places like Boston and, and New York and San Francisco essentially shut down uh, non-essential construction, or whether it was just because of, of declining uh, sectoral demand. So think of offices and, and and uh, hotels and the like that demand for those kinds of products or those kinds of projects just essentially stopped. As 2020 went on, the sector slowly began to recover. It took some time there for the sector towards the end of the year to gain that momentum and to gain traction. But by the time we got to the end of 2020 and we compared the year to prior to the pandemic, total construction starts fell by 7% in 2020. If you think back to the Great Recession, so let's say 2007, 2008, and 2009, and compare what happened during that time period to the pandemic uh, uh, downturn, back during the Great Recession, construction starts fell by 7% in 2007. They fell by 13% in 2008, and then a further 24% in 2009. So at least on the surface, the pandemic seemingly didn't have as negative an impact on the construction sector 
as the Great Recession did. And I said, again, on the surface, here we are now, you know, we flipped the calendar forward to 2021. We're coming up to the end of 2021. And that momentum, that recovery continues to gain hold, continues to gain traction. It's still fairly uneven at this point, but I would say the momentum is slowly turning much more positive as we get ready to flip the calendar yet again over into 2022. Yeah, and it was such an interesting moment when all of this kind of started shaking up the the world because the amount of uncertainty was uh, was just so high, and it was different than the the Great Recession in a way because people didn't really know how to mitigate things, and so there was so many lessons learned that we had to just make as an industry immediately, and so it was just this jump in and go, how do we keep people safe? Like, are there going to be dollars still spent? Are we going to be building new things? And like personally, I was I wasn't sure where things were going to go because I was watching of course, as you know, construction is often bid out well in advance. And so there was some money that was parked where the industry was going to continue running for a while. And it's like, what happens in the following year? And I'm just happy to see everything continue. And we've had this massive digitization effort across the industry that has kind of come along with it. So pluses and minuses for our industry as a whole. And I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic about what's, uh, what's coming next, which does lead me into the next question, actually. And from, from your perspective, which sectors of construction can really expect the most growth and opportunity in the coming year and which might be you're experiencing more challenges than anticipated? Yeah, great, great question, right? Where do we go from here? We know what happened in the past. And and uh, just keying off one of the points you made in, in, in uh, just a second ago in terms of how we viewed the pandemic as it was happening and from a, a statistical standpoint or an econometric standpoint, an economic standpoint, we, we scrambled back in history to find an event that was fairly similar where essentially the economy shut down for a significant period of time. And of course, the Great Recession didn't map that very well. But we actually what we went back to is looked at what happened to construction activity in the wake of the September 11th uh, terrorist attacks where a certain sectors of the economy shut down, or say after a natural disaster, when again, a certain uh, area of the country might stop all economic activity as recovery takes place. But looking forward, I I think as the economy continues to recover and it continues to gain traction, we'll start to see a much more balanced uh, recovery in the construction sector. Really, the, the growth sectors uh, in, in 2021 and even towards late 2020, we're really keyed on two very different sectors. Number one, single family. So think about what happened during the pandemic. People were clamoring to get out of cities. They wanted more space uh, out in the suburbs. So demand for single family construction picked up and, and construction uh, moved higher in kind. And what else were we doing? We were buying stuff on Amazon. So Amazon building these huge distribution facilities across the country. We're talking uh, buildings in excess of two to three million square feet per property. So as we move forward into 2021, we do expect that recovery to gain a, a, a more traction, more balance. I still think single family and residential will be will be strength markets next year. I think warehousing will continue to show strength that the, the demand for e-commerce and especially in, in light of supply chain issues, building out of that logistics infrastructure will certainly uh, take precedence. I also think healthcare uh, will be a strong market in 2021. 2022, uh, particularly, I think, as it relates to uh, inpatient 
uh, care as opposed to outpatient. A lot of the healthcare market uh, in terms of construction over the past decade has been towards that, you know, dock in a box, urgent care type of construction. I think we're going to start to see a shift back to the more inpatient side, as well as multifamily, particularly given the challenges facing the single family market with higher prices and shortages. Multifamily will certainly uh, pick up speed. And then finally, uh, another offshoot of the pandemic is manufacturing. Again, the logistics issues, the shortages of goods, has really created an opportunity for uh, producers to bring uh, the manufacturing process back on shore. And we are seeing more uh, manufacturing projects uh, start to pile up in our planning database. But of course, with, with every good side of the market, there will be downsides as well. And I think when we look at uh, construction sectors that are particularly rely on folks congregating, uh, I think those markets will remain weak. So, so what are we talking about here, uh, office construction primarily, as well as hotels. Uh, and, and you think about the, the spin-off from hotel construction, so that would be things like casinos, convention centers, possibly even into transportation and airlines and terminal construction. Those might be continue to be weak markets. But you know, to, to your comment that, that we are op, 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 very optimistic about where we expect the sector to go. Uh, our own leading indicators of construction activity are telling us this. The macroeconomic data is, of course, telling us this. But even as that significant hope uh, takes hold, we do need to recognize that the construction sector faces very significant challenges as we flip the calendar over. Uh, I've been referring to these as, as the three Ps, uh, people, prices, and productivity. And, and one thing to, to keep in mind that even though these challenges, I think, are significant and, and could certainly restrain activity next year, I don't want people to think that there is an opportunity to capitalize on some of these challenges and to still grow your business in, in this environment. Yeah, I think it's a it's a conversation point of just being very tactical right now and, and really taking stock of the things that you can control within your own organization and finding those optimizations and improvements and then figuring out how you can apply that as you grow into the new year. And, you know, of course, why I'm such a nerd about construction technology is you get to embrace a lot of really interesting things that, you know, change the game with the things that you can control. And then you kind of build from there. But I want to go a little bit deeper on the three P's that you just mentioned. And I, I like that framing. And I think starting with people would be an interesting one. Have you seen a lot of movement in construction tied to the great resignation that everybody is talking about in the media? Or are people mostly staying within their organizations in the in the construction sector. Yeah, so that first P, the people, is is certainly one of the most visible P's uh, that the industry is facing, a significant lack of skilled labor. And that's a great question, because if we think about the average age of workers in the construction sector, it tends to, to, to skew towards the older side of the market. And unfortunately, the, the news isn't, isn't great. Uh, when you look at the quit rates in construction, so the rate at which people are leaving their positions in the construction sector and you compare it to new openings, the rate at which openings are, are, are coming up in the construction sector, those new openings are outpacing quits. So that means that gap 
from an employment standpoint, the, the, the gap in terms of worker shortage is, is, is growing. It, it's not a shrinking. Now, of course, this isn't a new phenomenon for the construction sector. This is something the industry has been facing uh, for considerable for a considerable amount of time. If you go back to, to again, going back to before the pandemic, uh, the, the, there was around 400 at the, at the peak just back in 2019, maybe 400, 420,000 open positions in the construction sector. That's essentially where we're sitting at today. So it, it, it's, it's climbed back to where it was prior to the pandemic. It's a systemic issue that we face. But I think that people challenge is is broader than just what we're facing in the construction sector and it, it, it's really uh, about slowing demographic growth in the country as well right so so think about what we do in the construction sector we build things for people and if that demographic growth is slowing or shifting across the country it really has a significant impact on where we build what we build and how we build it's such a challenge to, to navigate as far as that, that labor retention as well. And construction, of course, uh, has a, a challenge with the perception problem as far as not necessarily being the sexiest industry, for lack of a better framing, for younger people to come into. And one of the things that I've, I've grown passionate about, especially over the last year of, uh, of hosting the show, is really finding ways to, to change that perception. And for me personally, of course, as I just identified as a, a construction technology nerd, I think that's one of those entry points that we can use as far as gaining people's attention is saying, look at this cool stuff that we can leverage, whether it's virtual reality or augmented reality or any of this new construction technology. And that's all augmentation technology, not people replacement technology. So like my hope is that we'll get better as an industry about pulling younger people in once they see, wow, like I get to play with drones all day long and build this incredible space and all this other fun stuff. But I, I would love to hear if you have any advice for our listeners, aside from that tech piece that I uh, speak about at length on this program, to better retain and attract some of that top talent amidst the, the uncertainty in the next year? I think you're spot on. The, I, I do think the construction industry has worked hard to combat this issue in terms of working with schools and community colleges and, and universities and, and whatnot in terms of building partnerships. I do think, of course, it needs to, we need to improve on that. I think it needs to be more concerted and maybe a broad-based effort across the industry instead of each of us competing against each other to try and retain and attract these workers. This is going to be more of, of a broad-based approach, but I think this is also a bit of a societal issue in, in terms of that we as parents, as teachers, as government, we need to make sure that our kids know that, that, that there's a lot of choice out there in the world. There's lots of great jobs that don't necessarily need a four-year university degree. And especially when you, you look at that calculus, that decision calculus in the face of very high university costs and high student debt. And I think that issue becomes more prevalent and more important. You know, I have a 13-year-old daughter. She's about to go into to, uh, high school next year. And we're starting to have those discussions. You know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And, and you commented on two different things there that, that would really speak to her. What does she love to do? She loves playing with drones and she loves Minecraft. And what do both of those things 
things have in common. It's about building stuff, right? And 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 using technology to get a task done and, and making sure that kids know that those opportunities to use those skill sets in the construction sector is, is prevalent. And again, I think that's more of a societal issue that we need to think about rather than just a construction industry related issue. I think everything you're saying makes sense. And the pleasure of just building a really cool thing it can't be overstated as well. When I was still working for some of the, the contractors before uh, pivoting into the tech space, even though I was more on the, the bid and proposal side and cost adjustment side as far as you know, uh, trying to get more dollars for projects in play if there were changed conditions... Being able to do a site walk in something that's half built that I help participate in the winning for or watching the topping out or, you know, being able to see that project when I'm driving down the freeway and go off the right, like, oh, the company I work for built that. Like, that's a really cool feeling. And I, I hope we can find ways to to bring that back into the conversation, too, because you, you just have this really tangible thing that impacts so many lives because construction touches every person in the world in some capacity, even if we don't think about it all the time. And uh, being a part of that is a really cool thing, regardless of where you fall into the construction ecosystem. Yeah, you're spot on. Construction is, I would say, and I'm maybe biased being in the construction industry, but but bias is really, it's really at the heart of our society you know everything that we do everything that we interact with on a daily basis in some way shape or form has to do with construction it's where we live it's where we work it's where we shop go to school see our friends that's all construction related and and uh, there are such tangible benefits like you said of of you know i built that i did that that i think kids and and uh, parents and teachers need to be aware of when they're grooming and counseling kids and and young adults in terms of where they go with their future lives yeah, absolutely. I mean, the trades are a great place to end up, and I, I hope we can elevate that a bit more in the coming years to, to help with the challenges the this industry specifically is uh, is managing. But I'd like to take a look at that second P that you mentioned, pricing. And can you tell us a bit more about the direction the supply chain and material shortages are headed and how that's going to impact pricing in the coming year? Sure. I, I feel, though, that we're going from, from bad to worse here in terms of going through the, the challenges. But unfortunately, as we look at, at material prices, and shortages, they're getting worse at this point. They're, they're not getting better. Just on Tuesday this week, the, the federal government released an updated producer price index data, and it showed that the producer price index for construction materials was 35% higher than it was a year ago. That's the fourth consecutive month where that year-over-year comparison has been over 30%. That's pretty stunning when you look at the totality of it. It, it originally started, if we think back to, again, during the pandemic, the early months of the pandemic, it started with lumber, right? Uh, plants shut down, mills shut down at the same time that uh, everyone wanted to build houses, wanted to do home improvement projects, build decks and whatnot. So lumber prices uh, skyrocketed. I remember that because my uh, my buddy had a, a stockpile of uh, two by fours in his <laughs> shop because he had a project on and he's like, I got my retirement. That's right. That's right. right. It's, it's better than gold. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, we did an extension on our deck here and it was shocking to go to 
to Home Depot and fetch those to fetch those boards. It was a little, it, it stuck out. An episode out. of the uh, the Hunger Games. That, that, that's yeah. right. <laughs> but as time went on, right, that spread beyond lumber into metals and plastics and just about everything the construction sector uh, uh, touches. So it's a given. It's happening now. I, the question is, thinking forward, where does it go from here? As we look at industry-level data, so how factories are operating, what capacity plants are operating at. I think there's some good news starting to come there that plants are very slowly getting back to the levels of operation that they had prior to the pandemic. So that's good. So there's more supply very slowly making its way back out into the market. Now, as long as we start to see some improvements on the ports, the shipping and logistics side of the world, I do think that that should lead to prices starting to cool in the back half of 2022. So the first half of the year, I think, is going to to remain very, very challenging for the sector. But but I think by the time we get to the backside of next year, we'll see improvements. So you know, you're, you're sitting on a beach at, at sunrise. The peak of the sunshine is just tipping over the horizon there. But it's going to be some time before the sun fully comes up. What you've shared here isn't isn't surprising, although it's uh, a challenge. Uh to put it very lightly as far as our industry goes. I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts on how people out there listening can mitigate some of these risks regarding to sourcing their supplies and materials. Yeah, that's difficult, right? Because uh, with the price inflation and shortages as widespread as as they are, you're, you're somewhat limited in what you can do today. If you're building a building and you need a sink for the bathroom, you're going to be competing with everybody else for that sink. So in, in terms of the short term, what you can do, obviously, you need to be very, very aggressive, but you also need to be very creative in your sourcing strategies and think maybe a little bit outside the box in terms of where you traditionally get your materials and goods and where you could get them from. Beyond that, though, in terms of where opportunities exist uh, from this challenge, obviously, the first one that comes to mind is building design, creating buildings that maybe mitigate or minimize products that are expensive or hard to come by. But I think the real opportunity here is for companies to invest in research and development to find new and different materials that will help that construction industry, help broaden the supply of things we can use to build the buildings and the roads and the bridges that we need. Yeah, I think there are ways to to kind of step into that. And I'm thinking back to two recent episodes of of the show where I had uh, Carolyn Cromines join, and she's talking about contracting specifically and mostly just in a protecting yourself, especially as a specialty contractor, when you put out things to bid, make sure that you're including language within certain terms that you can change the pricing if there's flux in pricing. So you're not surprised if you bid out something and then six months later, if it, you win, if there's a delay in that you know, award being sent out, you're not startled if the pricing has changed in a degree of magnitude that you're not comfortable with. And I really like your, your R&D focus here too, because you can take a, a peek at some innovative materials or ways of delivering. We did one with uh, 3D printing the other day where Stefan Mansour was speaking about using your lumber from framework, recycling that and using that to 3D print furniture and all kinds of other things. And so if you have the capability to to pick up some of those pieces of uh, technology and innovative and more progressive ways of building, there might be ways to to mitigate some of the the challenges that you have. And, you know, there's a sustainability element of of that as well that's uh, incredibly important. 
important as, uh, as far as waste goes for construction. Absolutely. The industry has come a long way in terms of, like you said, 3D printing, uh, robots that will lay bricks and, and, and whatnot. And even with the design of new products, you see more and more engineered lumber used for multi-story buildings. That's something that was not just technologically uh, able to do in, in, say, five, ten years ago. So we're making, uh, we're making uh, inroads here. But again, I think there's a lot of opportunity here to grow profitability here by short-term investment now. Yeah, it's, it's a good moment to step back and go, what changes can I implement today that aren't just going to impact the coming year, but even as prices go down and supply chains become a little bit less strained, you still have this new infrastructure to approach projects in a, in a different way than you might have done so previously. So definitely an opportunity and one that's been interesting in the last 18 to 20 months of you know pandemic life as far as, of course, we had our accelerated digitization simply out of necessity to get less people on site and retain the safety element of social distancing and such. But it also really has spiked attention on innovative and different delivery methods as well. So like that 3D printing and everything else. So it's a, it's a moment to, to make hay where, uh, where we can and kind of build on some of these lessons learned over the last 18 months. So they're not just, you know, pandemic stop gaps, but organizational changes that will improve your business in a very long-term way. So I'm looking at the, the last P that you mentioned, Richard, uh, and productivity. And this is a topic that I, I personally find really interesting because I think organizations have a lot of ability to control elements of it in interesting ways. And so I'm interested to learn more about how you wrap productivity specifically into the outlook next year. Sure. Productivity is is critical here, uh, especially in the sense that, that the construction industry has certainly lagged other sectors of the economy in terms of increasing and enhancing uh, productivity. So think about what we just discussed in terms of shortages of people, shortages of product, higher prices. It's hard to find people, experienced people to work on your jobs. If you get a job, it's hard to source the materials to get there. So at the end of the day, with prices rapidly increasing in an environment where that economic recovery is still in the early stages, what that means here is that you're potentially looking at your profit margins becoming pinched. So with the expectation of as we shift over into 2022 and still, you know, starting the year with fairly modest and moderate growth in order for you to maintain and improve your profit margins, you're going to learn to have to do, you're going to have to do more with less. And that means that you're going to have to really start thinking aggressively about investing in productivity enhancements. This comes back to a report that we recently released here from Autodesk. We were working with FMI, and it's uh, the data advantage in construction, harnessing the data advantage. And it was such an interesting piece of research and really kind of sparked a lot of conversations specifically tied to, to data. And I really enjoyed just kind of learning how the different organizations are tackling strategies and everything else. And what we did learn categorically is a lot of companies don't have a very defined and robust strategy tied to how they either consume standardize or analyze the lot of the project data they have. And of course, this ever-increasing ever uptake of available project data makes that a little bit more of an overwhelming thing to consider, especially if you're a large organization. But what we found was making meaningful improvements to how you manage your data actually has incredibly impactful benefits to your bottom line as an organization, both in just the data you have to make decisions and access and the choices that you make, but also being able to take that project level data 
and widen the net a little bit and start making organizational level decisions if you've got everything in a line where you can analyze and infer it. So I, I everybody listening out there has heard me plug this a couple of <laughs> times, but I think it's it's a worthwhile thing to think about for a couple of reasons, because one, it's it's an element, as I mentioned a moment ago, that you can control, like you can control your data. And even if it seems like it's an overwhelming element of your project, find a narrow scope of, of that project data and, and start making some changes to build your proof case and start rolling it out organizationally. So this is a really long-winded entry to my my next question, but I think it does tie back in specifically to uh, to technology. And we've discussed a little bit about this already, but I was wondering if you had any other thoughts on how technology specifically and that data conversation plays into staying competitive in the coming year. Yeah, technology is uh, an important part of the question here. And and of course, where most people's minds in the sector go to is how can I improve that productivity on the job site? And there's a lot of technologies coming out that will enhance that. You know, you think reality capture, offsite construction, modular construction. We, we discussed drones before, using drones to do on-site inspections. So the, the user of the drone can be back in the office and can do many more inspections during the day than instead of going site to site. And of course, any technology that helps enhance and improve the communication from the job site back to the office so that you can make those decisions in real time uh, in, instead of, of delayed. But I, I really want to, to, to emphasize the data question that, that or the data point that you made, because I think that's an issue that gets sorely and sadly ignored in terms of improving uh, uh, technology, uh, improving productivity. We as decision makers are overwhelmed with data, be they external metrics, so economic data, materials, prices, uh, even traffic flows in and around your job sites, to internal data, past job performance, uh, HR, safety, multiple data points here that we're trying to, to coalesce and use to make decisions. And any investment that companies can make in terms of harnessing that data, turning it into predictive analytics that can help you make quicker and more efficient decisions, I think is a critical and low-hanging fruit to improving that productivity. And if you improve productivity, as we just discussed, your profitability should increase as well. Richard, you captured one of the big nuances of the of that report that I mentioned, actually, as far as that, that field-level decision-making, especially. And I think right now, a lot of organizations struggle to make sure that their decision-makers working out in the field have the data to make those decisions quickly. And the need to make those decisions quickly is increasing over and over and over every year. And so making sure that the data you have both at your project level and your organizational level is accessible and also something that everybody trusts is accurate so they can make those decisions off of it, I think has an incredible improvement across the board. And once you have, you know, dashboards that people can go into and look at instead of an Excel sheet that's in a folder hidden in a, you know, a drive off somewhere that nobody even knows exists or has any access to, suddenly it's not just data that you can, you know, analyze and consider. It's you can make that actionable real-time choices with it in a way that really improves the outcomes of your organization and the specific project that you're working on. So it's it's a really exciting thing for me. And uh, just don't bite off too much of the apple when you start and, and just, you know, make those measurable improvements, I think. Yeah. And, and there's a there's a lot of ROI to come from. Oh, it. absolutely. You know, think back again to, to what we were just talking in, in terms of shortages of people 
and shortages of goods. If you can't make, can commit to decisions on the moment, should I have my subs here? Do I want to commit to having the subs here next week? Uh, should I go buy the wiring that I need now? If you're not making those decisions right then and there on the spot, somebody else will and take those products and people from you. So yeah, you're right. It, 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 it's a low-hanging fruit. A little bit goes a long way. So on a, on a little bit of a different note, and most everybody in the U.S. who's out there listening right now knows that the, the infrastructure bill was recently signed into law. Do you believe that that bill will have an impact on the, the outlook for this coming year? Yeah, no doubt about it. That This, this $550 billion in, in new spending on infrastructure is an absolute game changer in the sector. And it's really the largest investment in public works activity this country has seen in, in close to 50 years. And it's still a significant down payment on improving roads, bridges, water, and sewer systems across the country. So superlatives aside, show me the money. When am, when am I going to see this? these, these dollars hit? Uh, it's having a significant positive impact on our outlook uh, for next year, but I do think that the stronger growth, the greater impact will happen beyond 2022. We're really looking at 23, 24, and even into 2025 to when the real meat of those dollars will start making their way into the system. Uh, of course, that trajectory or those expectations are certainly need to be viewed through the filter of those challenges that we just discussed. Changing in prices, people, and of course, productivity could certainly alter that, that expectation as we look forward to next year. I appreciate that context because I know most people out there are, are wondering like, okay, when when does this have an impact on me? When when am I going to start you know, paying attention to these projects that might start coming my way if I support the infrastructure part of construction? But I think even if the, the dollars aren't showing up just yet, having a plan in place now is incredibly important to be as competitive as impossible as we kind of roll forward. And of course, federal contracting is a bit more onerous than the commercial side of things. I worked for a federal GC for many years, and I'm, I'm very familiar with the uh, the 200 to 500 page RFP that you might get sent for a, a new bid that you've got coming your direction. But finding ways to be innovative and ready to catch these RFPs when they roll out, and also finding ways to implement technology into the, uh, the changes that we're making in the coming years are, I think, incredibly important as well. And sometimes that's a little more onerous because there are more restrictions in the way you implement technology on a federal project. But I think being prepared today is going to make waves for how competitive you get to be in a year or two years or six months or whenever the funding starts showing up in everybody's laps. Oh, absolutely. And again, you know, in, in terms of shortages of people, you need to make sure that you've got your staff ready to go, whether they be back office staff that you need to start building those RFPs and, and sales plans and marketing plans, or whether it's on the site, you need to start preparing now, even if that money doesn't show up till say 2023. So I know we've covered a lot of uh, nuances of the, the coming years as far as the, the economic outlook. Do you have any other final guidance for our listeners to help them prepare for the upcoming year and, and make sure that they do stay competitive? I think the, 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 the key here for next year is going to be flexibility. There's, there's a lot of moving pieces on the chessboard right now. And in order to, to take advantage of these opportunities and mitigate the risks, you're going to have to be very nimble, very flexible, and able to pivot almost at a, no, a moment's notice. And I think that's one of the 
my favorite things about the construction industry, to be honest, is just this really adaptable, like, let's get it done mentality that is pervasive through most of the organizations that I've had the opportunity to work with or work for. And there's always this openness, too, of, of just sharing knowledge to, to try to better the industry and help everybody out. And so it's it's been great to see how much everybody has come together in the last 18 to 20 months of uncertainty. And I think there's just a ton of room to build on what we've learned and, you know, continue improving the way we get work done as, a, as an industry at large. It's a it's an uncertain moment at times, I think, but it's also kind of an exciting moment because we get to build on all of the the rapid improvements and changes that we've brought to our industry in the last uh, the last almost two years at this point. Now. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I think you're right in that the industry has gotten much more collaborative and some of these issues that we're facing, these systemic issues, we're not going to be able to solve them unless we tackle them as a sector and as an industry rather than as individual players. So regular listeners of the show will know that we usually ramp with a few questions about the future, but we've, uh, I'm chuckling <laughs> a little bit because we've, we spent this entire uh, discussion on a very future focused uh, track, which I think is great. I, I'm really appreciative of it because I think we've, we've offered hopefully some, some very actionable steps to think about where those challenges lie and where, you know, you can really make hay and find ways to improve your business and your profitability. But I'm going to change up this, uh, this last question for you. And Richard, I'd, I'd love to to know if there's one specific type of construction technology that you're really excited about or think will bring a big impact to the industry in the coming years. Yeah, so uh, full disclosure here from a technology perspective, I'm, I'm happy if I can figure out how to airdrop photos to my wife from my phone. So bear in mind here as an economist, but uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to circle back to that data discussion. I, I think there's a lot of innovation and a lot of return for a little bit of investment here in terms of harnessing the value of predictive analytics, artificial intelligence. And the great thing is that those tools are widespread easy to use that that again you know a little bit will go a long way in terms of improving your business uh, on the short term yeah, and, and there's so many benefits that come back to that. And once you've you've built that data foundation in a way where you can really truly leverage all the technology that you just mentioned, you're in such a really good position. And I, I always come back to that because I think it's so important to remember, but tools like virtual reality and augmented reality and 3D printing and robotics and all of this stuff that seems very futuristic is first and foremost, technology that's available now. Like you can adopt and leverage and implement all of these things today and have a measurable impact on how your organization's workflows go, the safety levels your organization has, and the profitability of your company. But the other element to remember, too, is especially with the labor part that we started talking about today, this is not a replacement strategy. This is an augmentation strategy that allows people to do what they do really well and allows technology to handle things that people either don't do well or are not able to do at the scale that a computer can do. Like I think about safety for an example. Sure. A site superintendent can't look at 10,000 photographs to determine if there are scaffolding issues or fall challenges or people are not wearing their hard hats or whatever. But you know, with artificial intelligence and the right tech out on your site, 
the AI can augment that and you have a safer site at the end of the day that allows your safety professionals to focus on other elements instead of just chasing all of this. And obviously it's not a one-to-one replacement for, you know, making sure people are doing the right things on site, but it's a really great example of the scale element that that technology can really bring to a project. Oh, no doubt. You know, nothing will replace a master craftsman in terms of, you know, a mason, a plumber, an electrician, in terms of how us human beings interact with a building or a type of construction, nothing will replace that. But if we can supplement it, that's certainly good news. And again, the, we, we discussed this at the beginning of the podcast, that technology, whether it's VR or drones, is a surefire way of attracting younger folks into the sector. So we need to be investing in these technologies to bring these folks in. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited for the next chance I have to go do a site walk just because I haven't had an opportunity to have my hands on a lot of this really neat stuff in a while. And I look forward to, <laughs> to jumping in head first. It's, a, it's always a fun opportunity. And one of the things I do miss about working for GC specifically is just being able to walk the site and see what everybody's doing and see that building right. you know, coming to life in front of you. So to close out this week's episode, I've got one final question that everybody listening is very familiar with. And I ask every guest on this show, what is one tool you'll always carry in your toolbox, no matter what type of project you're working on? That's a great question. I love it. I usually have in my pocket 24-7, not 24-7, I usually have in my pocket a Leatherman, you know, essentially a multi-tool. It can get you out of so many problems. And, you know, not to get corny or anything, but that multi-tool, I think, is very symbolic of, of how we need to be thinking about 2022 in terms of being able to to tackle a lot of issues at the same time and pivot on short notice. I I think I worry that if companies go into the kind of environment we'll be facing in 2022 thinking, I'm a hammer, I'm a screwdriver, and be so specialized, you're going to not be able to be proactive and uh, take advantage of these opportunities as they come up. Yeah, I think the the adaptability element there that you mentioned, uh, I don't think it's corny at all, to be honest. It's, It's very on the nose because we can't really truly predict everything that's going to happen in the next year. I wish I could. I'd be out buying lottery <laughs> tickets right now and, uh, you know, coasting into the new year in a very excited <laughs> right. way. But just ensuring you've got that baseline where you go, this is what our expectations are. This what this is what might happen. Here's the tools that we have where we can kind of change in the moment to address it and, and kind of go from there. And we saw that at the beginning of the pandemic. And I think it's just going to continue onward in the coming year and years moving forward. So I know, uh, I know your team at Dodge, we're always working on really interesting projects, and I've had the pleasure of uh, collaborating with some of your peers on a number of occasions, which I I sincerely appreciate. So do you have anything you'd like to plug or share with our listeners that you think they'd be interested in hearing about? Sure. Yeah, I think that's the great thing in terms of what I do as an economist at Dodge is is the ground is always shifting underneath us, even in the good times. Assumptions change in terms of of where these markets are are going. And and one of the things that my team is working on in terms of uh, 2020 is is trying to build out different scenarios so our, our forecast users have the ability to pivot the forecast as macroeconomic assumptions change. Does COVID become a more a worse problem? Does COVID, do COVID infections decrease? How does that affect the, the demand for building? That's, I think, critical because, as you mentioned, the ground is shifting here really, really fast underneath us. Uh, aside from that, if I look company-wide, I think we are doing a lot of interesting things and a lot of great things 
things are coming in the new year in terms of how our users and how people in the industry will be interacting with our data. Again, you know, we build our data from the ground up. We're tracking projects from their infancy and conception all the way through till groundbreaking. And I think there's going to be some very exciting product launches coming up in 2022 that will allow users to, to get better access to that. And again, back to that efficiency, back to managing that data. Uh, I'm really excited about some of these technologies getting launched in, in the new year. Yeah, the data conversation is always such an important one. So it, it's cool to hear that there's some stuff coming out that, you know, allow people to have more access to things that they can make new choices with depending on change conditions. It's it's such an important element instead of just, you know, shooting from the hip and going, all right, well, uh, what do I feel like I'm going to do today and make a change on that? And that can work sometimes and it can very much not work sometimes. So having more information is uh, critical. So I'm, I appreciate you sharing some of that context. I, uh, I know I'm looking forward to some of the projects that I'm working on with your peers in the coming year that I can't really share any details about today either. <laughs> but uh, rest assured out there listening, we've got some cool stuff in the funnel. So, all right. So if listeners want to ask uh, any questions about what you've just shared or uh, any of the uh, projects that are in flight right now, what's the best way that they can connect with you? I think the best way is, is LinkedIn. Not only will you have access to, uh, you know, contacting me through the, the chat and, and, and email function, uh, but I do tend to post a lot of news and analysis coming out of Dodge. So that's where you can keep up to date. Uh, we have uh, quarterly webinars that I do in terms of what the economic what the economic situation looks like in the construction sector. You can find that information there. So if you just were to go to LinkedIn and search for Richard Branch at Dodge, my name should pop up first. I can uh, vouch for the quality of content that Richard pushes on LinkedIn as well. There's some really great stuff to catch, and I've always enjoyed uh, following him and the the insight that he provides to our industry. So definitely check out uh, that content and take a look at Dodge on uh, social as well because. There's a bunch of cool stuff coming from there. So everybody out there listening still, uh, thanks for taking the time to join us on this episode of Autodesk's Digital Builder Podcast. If you have any questions or want to suggest a guest for a future episode, reach out to me on LinkedIn or via Twitter at Builder underscore digital. And if you're enjoying our show, please rate it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. All you have to do is open the app, find Digital Builder, and select the number of stars that you think we deserve. It's that easy and makes a real difference for our organization at the end of the day. And on that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.